0: Hello, and welcome to EMS Research with Professor Bram, where we talk about the research-related issues that matter to those who work in emergency medical services. Today, we'll be talking about protecting the brain during CPR. Welcome to the EMS Research Vlog and Podcast from the studio here in Houston, Texas. I'm your host, Bram Duffy. I'm a full-time paramedic on the street like many of you. I also have an appointment as a research fellow with the Institute for Social Innovation at Fielding Graduate University. And I'm an assistant professor of communication at Kennesaw State University. I actually have a research study open now for first responders. So if you don't mind being interviewed by me, then go to my website and check it out. www.professorbram.com it's professorbram.com. You just click on the current research tab to apply. The other thing to share before we get started, I have written two different books on communication. And the most recent book was just released called Hypnotic Communication in Emergency Medical Settings for Life Saving and Therapeutic Outcomes. You can find a link to the book below. Also, for sure, hang out to the end and I'll tell you more about it. I'd like to have everyone join me in welcoming Ashley Bowie, she is a paramedic who works in Northampton County, North Carolina, and teaches at Rokun Community College. She just finished her flight paramedic certification and recently wrote an article in Gyms that caught my attention. And so we're really thrilled to have Ashley on the show today. It's going to be fun talking to her about CPR, but tell me more about yourself. Did I miss anything?
1: that's the short and sweet version of it um i got started in ems very young just like you so i um, initially took emt class when i was 16 in high school um, and it has been a wild ride since then and here i am i um, practicing as a paramedic and i have my flight paramedic certification
0: so that's how you got interested in in ems was through the high school program
1: Yes, I, I was actually initially taking it as um, like a way to pad my resume to get into nursing school, but I fell in love with EMS along the way and decided to stick with it. So.
0: Awesome stuff. So we wanna to talk together about this article that you wrote called Neural Protective CPR that you wrote in the Journal of Emergency Medical Services. and. I just wanna summarize some of this because it's really exciting. Recent studies have shown that there are three key elements that we can use to improve the chances of cardiac arrest patients surviving with their brain function intact. And so these elements include raising the head and torso, using active compression, um, decompression, the ACD, CPR, and using the impedance threshold device. All these techniques can help improve blood flow to the brain and heart during cardiac arrest. So in practice, this means keeping the patient's head up and the pressure low. The method has been shown in animal models to increase blood flow to the brain and improve survival rates. So raising the head and chest or head up position can significantly reduce pressure inside the skull while improving blood flow to the brain in patients with severe traumatic brain injuries. So. The pressure inside the body was monitored continuously using a technique called the Selinger technique, and a probe was used to monitor blood flow in the carotid artery. A gauge was also inserted into the brain after cranial surgery to monitor pressure within the skull. And interestingly, when patients were positioned with their head and torso raised, these resuscitation rates improved significantly. So, over the next two years these rates doubled on average with improvements seen across all subgroups. Survival re- gr- survival rates remain stable at around 35 to 40 percent. The impedance threshold device is a small device attached to the end of the breathing tube. It enhances CPR by increasing the negative pressure inside the chest during the decompression phase of the CPR. And This leads to an increased blood flow to the heart, which in turn increases cardiac output and blood pressure in patients with low blood pressure or cardiac arrest. The device has been shown to increase pressures in the heart and brain nearly four times compared to just standard CPR. The other thing is that studies have shown that survival rates 24 hours after cardiac arrest were significantly higher in patients treated with the active impedance threshold device. 27% compared to those treated with a sham device, which were like 11%. So using the combined of the combination of head and torso elevation, active compression, decompression, CPR, and the impedance threshold device really is shown to significantly improve survival rates and brain function in cardiac arrest patients. And this is a promising development in our field for, for cardiac arrest patients. And so... I just want to ask you about how you came to write this and tell me about your cpr experiences I, i'm sure all this has been stuff that's affected your article
1: sure so um since i got an ems i've i've worked countless cardiac arrests um but as my experience grew and i became more interested um, in cardiac arrest the question arose of what happens afterwards, because that's not something that we see or hear from in EMS. Our care pretty much ends when we transfer care or um, the patient ultimately dies in the field. Um, So it became very important to me of understanding the quality of my interventions that I'm doing on my patients and how it affects their life in the long run and i came across this concept actually um during the critical care paramedic class that i took and i was tasked with writing a research paper on anything that i wanted to know and i wanted to learn more about this so i decided to do my research paper on that and my um instructor kind of encouraged me to turn this into an article and have it published Um, So that's how this all came about. And I just think it's a very promising research and I really care about the outcome of my patients. So I would love to see this um, research come to light, you know, more broadly so that we can see the effects of it.
0: Okay, so when I have used the impedance threshold device for my CPR patients, I just have to share like in practical sense when I when I use it, when 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 this when this thing is in process, I know that I just have to remember to get the thing off once I get Rosk, right? That's yeah. the because we don't want those pressures to to be the same. And so it's it's little things like that 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 are different about how we're going about this process because, well, this is new. So besides just that, besides taking it off as soon as you get Rosk. Tell me, how does the CPR work for you in practical sense? I know a lot of folks are familiar with standard ACLS, but now when we add this in, what, what's it like?
1: Um, yeah, so one of the big things that I've noticed um, in my system, we use the impedance threshold device and I had never used it prior. And um, my first cardiac arrest at my system, I forgot to put the ITD on. And then once I did, I noticed an increase in the entitled CO2 of the patient. Um, which was very intriguing to me because that just shows you that the perfusion is so much better with that device on. yeah. Um, And it's just pretty outstanding that such a tiny device that just goes onto the end of the ET tube that any level provider can use can add that much impact on the way that our CPR is being performed.
0: And so for those who haven't got to use it before, it's like a little uh, plastic hard bulb that you pull a trigger on that starts at light. So a light blinks and that's supposed to represent the time when you squeeze the bag. Or at least that's what I tell the firefighters that are working with me. So they don't overventilate. <laughs> so it adds a little bit of weight to the end of the ET tube. So it's like something to to think about, but basically it pops on the end. And the, the thing that I understood from my training with it was that it needs to be right up against the et tube, right? So if we have an entitled CO two detector, that that's great and all, but that's that's going to go later in the sequence, right?
1: Correct. Yes.
0: So those, so that um, that the pressure is directly on. So tell me more about how this head up position uh, would work. So are we talking about doing uh, CPR on a patient with their head elevated, or tell me more about like in practical sense how it would all come together.
1: Um, So the device that is, has been manufactured is called the Eligard device, um, which is what I was kind of speaking about in my article. And this device actually gradually elevates the head over about a five minute period. So the head is elevated approximately 22 centimeters and thorax about nine centimeters over that time period. Um, And basically how this works is um, the idea is that when we're doing our traditional supine CPR, we're not getting uh, ample outward blood flow from the brain. Um, so every time we're doing a compression on the chest and we're sending blood up to the brain, it's like meeting resistance and almost causing like a concussion to the brain during that time frame. So as the head and thorax are being elevated, we're essentially using gravity to assist with the outward blood flow from the brain so that we're creating more space for inward blood flow. And by doing that, we're seeing a decrease in intracranial pressure and an increase in cerebral perfusion pressure by elevating the head and thorax.
0: That's exciting. And so when I look at the article, it shows the, um, the device and it's basically connected to a Lucas system, right? Yes. And so the interesting thing about Lucas devices from my experience has been that I'm just a big fan. Like I've used them a lot. I have saved people's lives using them. And you know, when I get ROSK, I really attribute it to that machine. I am super big fan of, of these Lucas devices. When I look at the research studies on Lucas devices, they actually, I don't know if you know this, but they actually, from what I've seen, they don't necessarily show that they have better outcomes than traditional CPR. And it just blows my mind because in practical sense, I am here to tell you, I see it because I don't know about all the different components of of that. But now when I can see that we're adding Lucas to this elevation technique with the impedance threshold device to to like do a whole system, I just can't imagine much based on what we know about medicine today, I can't imagine much more of a ideal uh, situation and so, I I wonder about the um, the comparison of just straight up the Lucas device with and without this. You know, I don't I don't think that um, that's been done yet. But that's where we're at. Are there a lot of these devices where you're at?
1: Uh, the Elgar device or the Lucas?
0: Both. I was just yeah.
1: Um, most agencies in my surrounding area do have the Lucas. Um I don't know of any agencies that have the Elegard. However, my agency just purchased the Elegard device. We just have to get through our initial training before we roll it out in the field.
0: Okay, so that's really exciting. And um based on that, I want to invite you to come back on the show later and talk about it once you've had even more experience because this is I can tell this is something that has probably got your whole department excited about what can be done, you know, to help these folks. And so um Tell me about the difference between the sham device and the, uh, and the impedance threshold device. I, w- I want to make sure I'm I'm clear on those differences.
1: Sure. So um, the impedance threshold device, you kind of um, summarized it a little bit um, in the beginning, but it's a device that creates negative intrathoracic pressure. Um, so the way that I like to look at it, it's essentially doing the opposite of what a peak valve would do, right? So Um, it is creating almost a vacuum in the chest and that vacuum is increasing our coronary blood flow and it is increasing our systemic blood pressure In the long run, like when it's being used. And it should be, um, that light that blinks when we squeeze it should be during the decompression phase of CPR. So when we're not putting any, um, outward pressure on the chest, um, the sham device use in these. Looks exactly like the Impedant Threshold device, but it does not cause the negative pressure. So it's essentially a device that is used to blind the researchers, almost like a placebo medication um, during like medication trials, so that the researcher does not know exactly what device that they're using, so that they're not biased um, to the research.
0: Now I understand. Okay, so this was just to help with the research study so that they could tell the difference in the outcome or the the numbers, the difference with, with it and without it. Exactly. But, yes. Awesome. Okay. So, were the, have we found any drawbacks or challenges that people face when they when looking at using this system yet?
1: Anecdotally, what I believe the biggest challenge is going to be is I don't want this system to take away from what is most important and that is early recognition and initiation of CPR. And timely defibrillation. Um, it's very easy when we add new, fun, shiny toys and tools to our toolbox to um, get um, kind of tunnel vision on that, and not focus on what's most important. So, to anybody who is new to these, um, the system and these devices, the most important thing is still going to be CPR. Starting early CPR and uh, um, not reducing our chest compression fraction because we still want our chest compression fraction to be 80% or above, right? I mean, we learned that in just basic AHA Um, So practicing with this device and getting all of the maneuvers down as a team so that you're adequately placing the patient on it and not reducing our chest, impress- chest compression fraction is what's gonna be most important.
0: Yeah, and I've seen that. I've seen some of the common mistakes I've seen is like, putting a patient that's too large on it from the start, right? Sure. So, you know, these devices have a, there's only so large of a patient that you can put on there. And so if you just really wish, beyond all wishes that you could squeeze a patient in there, it's not gonna, it's not going to work. It'll pop off, you know, these Lucas systems aren't uh, made for that. And so I just want to mention, you know, I've been in situations where, you know, like I, I want it to work for me, but uh, it was misjudged and I should not have even tried it because, um, it didn't fit. And the, the only problem with that is that there were seconds there where chest compressions were not being delivered that you know could have been, right? During the time we had to roll the patient on the device. And so like what you're saying, I think it's totally true. The downside to this is that uh, we have to be practiced as a team so that we don't stop chest compressions. And I don't know if you've seen it, but I have ingrained in my mind that American Heart Association video that shows chest compressions and the pressure that uh, builds in the chest as you continue the, um, you know, the thoracic pressures that are allowed to um, occur in the chest uh, during the uh, compressions versus when you stop, right? And then it ha- you have to allow the, the build-up all over again. So, yeah. Any, so it takes kind of
1: about ten seconds for that pressure to build up once um, CPR is started, but it only takes about three seconds for you to lose that pressure. So that's something to like keep in mind of how important those chest compressions are.
0: That is so powerful. Yes, and so back to practical sense, I'm imagining uh, doing uh, doing this process. So we put our uh, we ha- uh, are doing our regular CPR things, but now we're putting the patient on the Lucas, and the uh, Lucas will automatically do head elevation and stuff. And we know that the uh, impedance threshold device goes on goes on the tube. Uh, we um, and then when we hit ROSC the impedance threshold device goes off, right? We take that off. But what about the the other system is it, are we going to hit a button that says we have ROSC and then it deflates <laughs> so that the heads flat again? We don't that know.
1: Is, that is a question I do not have an answer to. I'm <laughs> yeah. so
0: excited for you that that, uh, that this is all this is all coming. So, um I I just know that if um based on what I've seen with with Lucas and we add this kind of stuff It just makes me super excited. And the next thing you know, we're going to be doing um, more and more in the field. And we're here at it. So thank you for joining me today. It's been great being able to talk about this stuff. And so I I look forward to inviting you back to hear more um, about your hands-on experience with the same machine.
1: Of course. I'd love to. Thank you so much for having me.
0: I want to also invite you to check out my latest book I co authored with Four Eros, who has two doctorates and is an expert on indigenous scholarship and hypnosis. So I just want to invite you to check it out because we introduce a method for communicating with patients on the scene of an emergency that takes advantage of some of the properties found in hypnosis. This book works to change the way we approach and interact with any kind of emergency patient in acute distress because it's going to help you be a better practitioner and use communication as a healing tool. Right now, there's just not a lot of training in how to talk to your patient. And if you've been stuck with a patient for any period of time and and you need to have a conversation, it's awesome to be able to have a healing conversation. This book is called Hypnotic Communication in Emergency Medical Settings for Life-Saving and Therapeutic Outcomes. You can follow the link below to find it, or you can find it literally almost anywhere you type in the name or my name. I had a friend that mailed me a book and wanted an autograph. Don't mail me a bunch of books. Just let me know that you want an autograph for the book and I'll be happy to send you over a sticker. I have some stickers made that are pretty awesome that I'll send you that you could put in the cover.
2: Hi, I'm Will Schaplow from the International Prehospital Medicine Institute. You might know about us because of the literature reviews that we post every month, free to free review on our website at IPHMI.com, and also publish through GEMS Online Magazine every month. We've been doing them for five years, so now we've accumulated over 240 literature reviews over the past five years. And we've gotten feedback from our audience that said they'd like to have these things as desk references, so they'd had a rapid reference. Well, we've done it. And there are now five volumes of these books, one for each year that we've been publishing them. Uh, This is the latest version, uh, volume five. And as I said, in each of these, there's at least 48 literature reviews. They're all cataloged in the beginning of the book, so you can see um, what the topic area is, what pages those reviews are on, and how you can find them quickly. Again, these are a great reference, whether you're putting a lecture together, uh, working on a paper, uh, studying, whatever it is, this gives you the depth of field of the science that dictates what we do in the field or what we should be doing in the field or why we've changed the way we do things in the field. In any event, as with all of our publications, we've priced these because we want you to be able to have this book. It's only $4.99 in the written and the copy, the hard copy here. And are all five of them are available at that price, but you can also get them as eBooks and they're available as eBooks from Amazon, from uh, Apple, from Barnes and Noble, wherever you get, you get your eBooks for the price of $2.99. So again, we don't do this, um, with an aim towards getting wealthy, we do these because we want you guys to be able to have these materials, relevant information, affordable information, and an access so you can get to it. So, if you want the hard copies? Go on Amazon, $4.99. Go to your ebook store and you can get it for $2.99. If you're in the business, this is the kind of material you want to have around to settle those firehouse arguments or to help you put your materials together. Thanks again. See you all soon.
0: Thanks. The other thing before we close that I want to share is that I'm doing a research project related to first responders who live in the United States. And I could really use your help if you don't mind being interviewed over a video call. So go to my website, fill out the form that's at professorbram.com professor, m.com, And thank you again for listening. I look forward to sharing more insights with you in this next episode If you enjoy EMS research, please tell your friends, like, share, and subscribe to help others get the message, and then stay tuned for the credits at the end so you can see the research articles that we talked about in today's episode.